What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello everybody and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Laner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say Merry Christmas, guys! Hey, I'm Christmas. I'm Ben. That was... I. You left me <laughs> dumbfounded there, Chris. <laughs> I slightly modified our intro for Christmas, and our podcast has already deteriorated into nothing. No, Marcus, you were fine. That was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Christmas, so, of course, we are doing a very Merry Christmas episode, and... Our question is, what if everything was Christmas? What does that mean? Well, we've each taken a thing, and we're like, hey, what if all of these things are the Christmas version of said thing? Like me. I'm Christmas. Yeah, like, what if all Chris's were Christmas Chris's? I have a glass of mulled wine right now, and you're making me need this mulled wine right now, Chris. (laughs) Ben, how about you get us started? What thing did you turn into Christmas things? So, I wanted to figure out. What if all lights were Christmas lights? Which I also very much had a crisis of faith right before we started recording. I could not figure out if they were just Christmas lights or Christmas tree lights. I don't know. It was a long day. I don't think people call them Christmas tree lights. I think you just call them Christmas lights. I think you do, but that also feels weird. I don't know. Anyway, they're definitely just Christmas lights. I googled. It's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I ignore the fact that half of the places in my notes say Christmas tree lights and just say Christmas lights. What did you Google to find that? Christmas lights, just to see if there are results. I don't know. Did you Google Christmas tree lights as well? No, I'm just trusting that Christmas lights is fine. We're going to go with it. Just say it's your assumption, Ben. Don't doubt yourself. That's part of the question. The assumption is that all Christmas tree lights are called Christmas lights. No, so what if all lights were Christmas lights? So, obvious way to read this is just simply, any light in your house suddenly is not like a light bulb, it is Christmas lights. Obviously, this is going to have some some impacts because i don't know if you noticed but christmas lights aren't all that bright so in terms of measuring brightness there's a couple ways you can do it there are lumens uh, which is the si derived unit of luminous flux which is basically just a measure of the total quantity of visible light emitted by a source per unit of time there's also candela which is a unit of luminous intensity used to be called candle power one candle power was the light produced by a pure spermaceti which is this waxy substance from the head of a sperm whale that's why we killed a bunch of whales back in olden times pure spermaceti candle weighing one sixth of a pound and burning at a rate of 120 grains per hour because they had to be super extra like that and really the idea of lumens versus candela is that i'm really hoping i'm pronouncing this correctly by the way candela it's probably not that candela candela i don't know i don't know it could be like candela it's coming from candles so i think it has to be i don't know whatever it doesn't matter candela involves how much area the light that's being produced covers so the best way to sort of think about it is that um, we have a flashlight that flashlight probably has a lower overall volume of light it's producing than like a lamp so that flashlight is going to have lower lumens than the lamp would be but the candle will be much higher because that flashlight is focusing all its light in a small area versus dispersing it all around so i'm going to use lumens for all of this just because one, we want to know if we can just sort of see generally and how we'll do that. And two, also, it's just a lot easier to find lumens numbers than candela. So we're going to roll with that. So an, an LED Christmas light, 
um, which is generally what people are using at this point. It varies the brightness based on the color, but the brightest you can get is a warm white Christmas light, which is about 4.7 lumens, which means absolutely nothing to you. But for comparison, a just 60-watt incandescent light bulb, just a, you know, standard-ass light bulb, produces around 800 lumens of light. So roughly 170 times as much light as one of these Christmas lights. And this is the point where I ran into a problem with answering this question this way, which is that you can do this, right? Like, yes, haha, they're dimmer, but light is additive. So if you had 170 Christmas lights, it would produce as much light as one of those regular light bulbs. And yes, it's awkward to cram 170 Christmas lights into where you'd have a single light bulb now. You can do it. And we could get by pretty much okay just with a bunch of lights everywhere. There are funnier examples too. Like I looked up the lights on a police car can be around 30,000 lumens. So a police car would have like 6,300 lights on it, which would be kind of funny. But like it gets, tops out at kind of funny and that's just not great. <laughs> I do like the police car with the light afro on it. The police car with the light <laughs> afro is very good. And I really wanted to bring that one up because it's a great mental image. But that's kind of where the peak is. So we're going to change tax a little bit here. Let's talk about how Christmas lights are wired. So when you wire a circuit, you either do it in parallel or in series, whatever, you know, components are in your circuit. So in series, you wire everything in series, right? Everything is going, all your current is going from one component to the next in a chain around your power source. Um, and this means that if one of those components dies and the circuit is broken, all of your circuit breaks. You can also wire things in parallel, which is where you don't have this single chain and you'll have like a distinct path for every component so you don't have that happen. But generally, Christmas lights are wired in series. So if a single bulb fails because that current is passing through the bulb, your entire string of lights will fail. In actuality, it's not quite that simple. Um, one, there are Christmas lights that are wired in parallel. They're more expensive because it's more complicated wiring setup, but you can do it. They do exist. Beyond that, ones that are wired in series usually aren't just straight in series anymore. Usually they have some number of, basically, it's like a, a little thing that will flip and complete the circuit without actually going through the light if the bulb, like the filament, breaks. So that one can burn out, that little like safety thing will flip down and the circuit will continue and you'll have your one burnt out light you can find and replace. But for a, a decent amount of time, that was kind of the way things worked, was if your bulb fails, your entire string of lights goes out. So what if instead of literally our lights are Christmas lights, what if instead our lights are Christmas lights in the more general sense than that they are a string of lights that are all connected and all have to be on all at the same time? How many, like how big of a network are you talking about? Let's start with a house. We'll start with a house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have a house. This isn't that bad it's not great i'll freely admit that but basically just take your current abode wherever you're living and suddenly every light switch you have turns off or on every single light in your house honestly not the worst thing it's a little wasteful you're gonna have lights on where you don't need them convenient it is you do not have to worry about leaving a light on somewhere because you will know you know generally people will be on roughly the same schedule so everyone's going to sleep around the same time hit the lights you're good someone has to go sleep early get a sleep mask i don't know it's fine not that big a deal. The one tricky thing is that when a bulb dies, all your bulbs die. <laughs> and then you have the same sort of deal you have with Christmas lights where you're going through and changing out the light bulbs and seeing which one failed. 
Except that instead of being a string of lights you can sit on your couch and do, you know, bit by bit, it's your entire house and everything is dark. Fortunately, this won't be that common of an occurrence because I looked up the lifespan of LED bulbs, which I'm assuming we would be using in this situation. And generally, an LED bulb will run for 6,000 to 10,000 hours before not technically failing, but just reaching the point where it's no longer viable as a light bulb. And I guess occasionally failing. I mean, they will fail in that point sometimes too. But LEDs are weird. They kind of lose luminance as they go on. It's complicated. They get tired. They've been so bright for so long. I mean, it lasts a long time. So like 6,000 hours is like 250 continuous days. So they'll be bright for a long time, but they will eventually go. But occasionally you'll have this fun situation where one of your light bulbs dies and you just have to go through your entire house figuring out what it is. Or more likely just at the same time, replace all of your light bulbs because you don't want to have to do this every, you know, if they're going to fail around the same time, do this constantly, you know, for like a month as they fail in sequence. So that's not great, but overall, not too bad. Where things get a little iffier is we you expand things slightly and look at, say, a dorm or an apartment building because suddenly you are not all living together in the same household and i honestly think that this why you wind up working on a like building lights on lights off system and i don't know any other way this could possibly work which would suck and probably lead to a lot less people living in apartments <laughs> it's also really bad because it's like you know the, the system can decide when the lights are on, but anyone can decide when the lights are off. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think that in the system, you do not have a light switch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. Your, your lights turn on at 7 a.m. Your lights turn off at whatever hour is... Or Sorry, your lights turn off at 7 a.m. No. Wait, how do you do it? Hold on. Your lights turn on when it gets dark, you know, as the sun goes down, and then turn off at, like, a designated bedtime. I guess there's, like... You partially choose your apartment building based on the assigned bedtime. <laughs> I hadn't actually thought about that, but... It's like, that. yeah, the, the reds learns a bit more, but bedtime's all the way at 11. Yeah, it's worth it. That's what, this other one is cheap, but the lights out is 8. I can't deal with that. So, I mean, it's rough, but you can still kind of work around it. I wanted to look into if there was any way to make this work with... If you take it to this, like, logical extreme conclusion, which is... We're treating everything coming out of a power plant as a string of lights. And therefore, everything streaming from, like, a single power plant is all on at the same time. One, in this scenario, I was going to extend it to all electricity. I'm pretty sure that doesn't work. Even if you keep it just lights, I think what you wind up having is basically a national holiday, which is light swapping day. That you just preemptively, like, every year, everyone replaces every single light bulb. There's probably a statistical thing where it's like, there's X chance a light bulb is going to be broken at any time. And based on how many light bulbs there are, it will never work. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So I was trying to figure that out. I that, That's what I, I you know, I, I, I was really trying to get this work. The complicated thing is that the failure rate is not an easy failure rate because it operates on a, they call it like a bathtub failure, where it's high at the start and then goes down exponentially to where it gets very low. And it stays very low for a long time and gets high exponentially again at the end. The problem is, I'm pretty sure that, yes, just statistically, it's going to be impossible and that you're going to get some random failure, like, an hour into the lifetime of a light somewhere at basically all times. Yeah, if you have a million lights, which is not that many right. coming out of a power plant, 
it's never gonna it's, it's too many right exactly um so the answer is if that's the case it doesn't work uh i think that's that's you know <laughs> the takeaway we don't have lights anymore we're using candles um but on a smaller scale if all lights were christmas lights in the sense that they were really annoying strings that we you know one burns out and you have to swear a bunch and try to replace a bunch of them I think we could actually make do all right, even in the dorm slash apartment situation, even if it would be incredibly annoying. So anyway, that's what I did. I'd love to know how big an afro a lighthouse had. That would be sick. <laughs> I didn't think about looking at a lighthouse. Oh, man. So lighthouses, <laughs> God, getting super nerdy. Lighthouses would be weird because that would be a very like candela versus lumen situation, but it would be hilarious. Anyway, Marcus, what did you do? All right. My thing that is now a Christmas thing is trees. What if all trees were Christmas trees? So first thing I'm going to say is there are several species of Christmas tree. Firs, pines, spruces, yada, 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 yada. I rounded them all to pine trees. I'm going to say pine trees every time. I'm not going to differentiate between the species. They're all different types of needly green trees. And using Ben's excuses, the information is about pine trees that I found. So all trees are now pine trees. So kind of the first thing I, I was looking at, because we live up in the north, I was like, well, we got pine trees here, but can pine trees survive in places that aren't like, you know, New England and Canada? And yes, in fact, they can. Uh, they can survive in USDA plant hardiness zones 2 through 10, which is out of like, there's only like 13 of them. And this covers basically all locations from Alaska to southern Florida. So the pine trees can survive basically any climate. I think they get outcompeted in more tropical climates. But yeah, pine tree forests, I mean, all through California and stuff where it's hot and deserty, so you can have different types of pine trees there. So it's, it's not like half the world doesn't have trees. Trees can be everywhere. Then it kind of becomes a question if pine trees are any better or worse than other trees as a base for like a, a forest system or, you know, just generally surviving and all that. There's two main areas where pine trees make things kind of difficult for life around them. The first one is that the pine needles that fall down, unlike leaves, are actually somewhat acidic. This makes it pretty difficult for other types of plants to grow down at the base of pine trees. So if you see, like, pine tree forests, you'll notice, like, especially immediately around trees, and just generally, there's a lot less underbrush and, you know, flowers and leaves and grass. It's more like dirt and moss in pine trees forests, because the soil is a bit acidic. It's harder for plants to grow there. And then the other one that I did not really know is that pine trees can also be a source of significant air pollution. The pine tree smell that you get is actually caused by the fact that these trees emit volatile organic compounds, or VOCs, into the air. President Reagan was actually infamous for making the claim that pine trees pollute the air, which he was rightfully criticized for this claim, but he wasn't entirely wrong. Kind of based on the information he had at the time, he was more wrong than he was now that we know a bit more. So just to explain a little bit, the air pollution we're talking about here is actually ozone, Ozone, you may think, is good. It's good. It makes up the ozone layer, which protects us from the harmful sun rays. Uh, so yeah, ozone is good when it's up in the ozone layer, but it's pretty bad at the ground level, where it's known to cause all sorts of illness, disease, all kinds of those bad things. So in order to create this bad ozone, you need three parts. You need sunlight, hydrocarbons, and nitrogen oxide. Pine trees release lots of hydrocarbons. Human pollution fills in as the excess of nitrogen oxides that the hydrocarbons then combine with, get activated by the sunlight, and make the ozone. So 
Pine trees, yes, are part of the process of creating ozone at ground level, which is bad, air pollution. But really, the main fault is having the nitrogen oxides from all our industry is really what's called it. Fixing the pine trees is not really the end of the problem you want to fix it from. But more recently, it's actually been discovered that pine trees can also release nitrogen oxide themselves and contribute to ozone creation all by themselves. So you don't even necessarily need human activity. Obviously, it accelerates things. But if we have lots and lots and lots of extra pine trees, they're going to be fueling themselves as well. And you can see this. You'll, you'll see evidence of like forest fogs in these pine tree forests, these redwood forests. And it looks cool. And it's like, ooh, morning misty. But no, it's like just unhealthy ozone, really. And so... This is kind of all natural processes, like the order of magnitude of how bad this air pollution is, is not going to be very extreme. It's kind of a self-regulating process too, where at a certain point, like it'll be a little bit saturated with these things and produce less ozone over time. It kind of caps out a little bit. But there is one more factor that could drastically increase this amount of ozone it's producing. And this is bark beetles. I don't know if you guys remember hearing in the news from like, it kind of started in 2005 or so, and it pops up every few years. These nasty bark beetles that come in and they invade these pine forests and they just mess it up pretty badly. They devoured 46 million acres of the 850 acres of forested land in the United States, which is like 5%, but 5% of all the forests is a big freaking number for beetles to mess with. So they basically like, these beetles, they like bore into the trees and like build all these little tunnels and pathways. And through this, they'll eventually kill the tree by just stopping its ability to get nutrients to the rest of it and then the tree dies increases the risk of forest fires we've had plenty of those lately increased bark beetle infestations is going to be bad overall but also pine trees defense mechanism when it feels it's getting invaded by a fungus or a bug or something along those lines is to increase the production of its volatile organic compounds is to increase its pine smell by up to 20%, because that generally will repel bugs, but not bark beetles. So if we have air pollution start kicking up, and now we have, you know, a planet ripe for all these bark beetles, we might be dealing up more and more of this air pollution. So pine trees might suck having them as all the trees. But being a pine tree is not the only thing that makes a tree a Christmas tree. Of course, I don't look at a pine tree and say, oh, look, a Christmas tree. They also need lights. So I'm saying right here that if it's not lit up, it's not a Christmas tree. So all the trees are pine trees, and all these pine trees need lights. So let's start with a let's start with a you know how much lights you need for a tree. A seven and a half foot tall tree typically needs about six hundred fifty incandescent mini bulbs, at an average of 0.45 watts per bulb, total of two hundred ninety-two watts, or roughly 0.29 kilowatts for when your tree is on. So if you're using your tree, you're using about 0.29 kilowatts of energy every hour. To put into perspective, compared to like your house's energy budget, the average house uses on average about 1.24 kilowatts per hour. So when you when you have your Christmas tree running, it's kind of increasing your house energy use by like 20, 30 percent. It's not insignificant. So yeah, the energy use is going to go up in the house around Christmas times. But there's only 1.16 billion homes worldwide. There are 3.04 trillion trees in the world. So let's say all the trees are this seven and a half foot tall tree that I have numbers for. If we just multiply out that 0.29 kilowatts by 3.04 million trees, we end up with 881.6 terawatts of power we're using per hour, which 
brings it up to 7.7 million terawatt hours per year. Which again, doesn't mean anything to anybody. So how much energy does the world produce in a year? 173,000 terawatts. So we will need more than 44 times as much energy that we produce right now to light up all our Christmas trees. And that's if they're all small trees. That's all if they're house-sized, seven-and-a-half-foot-tall trees. If we don't shrink our trees down, which would make a whole host of other problems I didn't get into, if we take the average height of a tree, which, according, again, to the internet, 87-and-a-half-foot, based on the largest tree database that they have, if you scale that up, instead of 44 times as much energy, we need over a thousand times as much energy to light up all these trees, which is tricky. Increasing our energy by that much is going to be difficult, uh, but not something we haven't tackled before on this show. (laughs) (laughs) But putting that aside for a hot second, with all of these lights on all of these trees, one other thing to consider is we're also going to be causing a huge amount of light pollution. This is obviously bad in a general sense. It was a little bit weird because studies on light pollution tend to focus on, like, mental health and circadian rhythms, which are annoying but generally minimal effects. Probably the most impactful thing will be it's going to mess with animals pretty severely that are relying on this day-night cycle. It's a, I guess it's kind of a bad day to be a bat <laughs> or, you know, a bug that's attracted to lights. So there's going to be a whole lot of weird stuff going on, like side effects of having just kind of light everywhere during the night around the whole globe. But one other interesting effect of light pollution is that it can also increase regular air pollution to compound our previous air pollution problems. Because it seems at night, under normal circumstances, as the temperatures drop and things, you know, kind of slow down a little bit, the levels of nitrate radicals in the air increases. And these nitrate radicals help reduce the amount of smog and fumes that we generate with our cars and whatnot. Light pollution has actually been shown to destroy these nitrate radicals. So it actually hinders the ability of our cities to kind of naturally reduce the amount of smog and fumes in the air. So now if we're just applying that everywhere, we're going to have yet another contributing factor to uh, all this air pollution. So really, if all trees are Christmas trees... We're going to increase the pollution via the trees themselves, via the light they emit, and definitely by trying to produce enough energy to power them. So we're just really descending into a pine-scented, smoky hell. So, uh, Merry Christmas! Who knew trees could be so bad for the environment? Yeah, I know. It's freaking ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, what did you end up tackling? So the thing that I made Christmas was days. What if every day was Christmas Day? So... To tackle this question, I want to sort of boil down the essence of what makes Christmas Christmas and then analyze it like that. I think Christmas lights are a pretty big part of Christmas, so are Christmas trees. But since you guys already tackled them, I didn't really look into them that much. Obviously, it would be a little different in my situation if, like, I don't ruin the environment with mine. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the same normal amount that we just have during the holiday season. Yeah, right. But some other things that you do on Christmas are you watch Christmas movies, you watch, you uh, listen to Christmas music. So all that stuff would basically be like all the media and entertainment that you consume would be Christmas themed, which it would maybe get a little annoying. I like Christmas stuff, so when I would like it, I think. But it's not really that big of a deal. It doesn't really impact that many things. But one thing that does is the tradition of giving presents to people. So if Christmas 
happened every day, that means you'd have to give presents to people every single day. And that's going to add up. That's going to be pretty expensive. So I want to see, like, how much money would you have to spend? So the average money spent on Christmas gifts, there was a, I found statistics, I think it was on a survey, based on a survey in the U.S. God, no matter what this number is, unless it's exactly how much I spent on Christmas gifts, it's going to make me feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) In the year 2021, people said they expected to spend an average of $886 total in gifts. Which is actually pretty high. (laughs) Oh, thank God. That's exactly how much I spent. Perfect. Yes. To the dollar. (laughs) To the dollar. To the dollar. (laughs) Oh, but I haven't gotten stocking stuffers, so that's out the window. Now I feel like I'm uh, being too too generous. Gonna have to return something. So that means you're gonna have to spend that much money every single day on top of everything that you're already spending for like food and stuff and rent and mortgages and stuff. And the thing is, Christmas is a federal holiday, so that means that most people aren't working on Christmas. But they do get paid on Christmas, most people. So they are still making money, but they're not necessarily making enough money to spend that much money every day on gifts, which could end up being a problem. Now, because it's a federal holiday, not everyone is working. We did do an episode earlier. It was a very early episode. It was episode nine, where we asked, what if everyone stopped working for a week? And in that episode, a lot of bad things happened, like... Oh, it didn't turn out just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think I said the purge happens. (laughs) So this scenario is a lot longer than a week. It's actually forever, where people aren't working. But um, it's also not everyone. So on Christmas, some people do work, mostly like retailers. But um, there was a 2011 Heartland Monitor poll that said that One out of every four Americans works on Christmas. And this includes in industries like the restaurant industry, retail, emergency responders, hospital workers. Basically, anyone that's considered essential works like Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. They work on Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. On Thanksgiving, I got a coffee in the morning from from a Dunkin' Donuts that was open. I was like, oh, man, why are you guys open today? Oh, wait, because of me. (laughs) Yes. So a lot of things that we said would happen in episode nine don't actually happen. Like the purge won't happen because law enforcement is still working to prevent that. And also it's Christmas. You can't purge on Christmas. Well, didn't they? I haven't seen the purge movies, but isn't there a Christmas one? (laughs) I think there was. It doesn't matter anyway. (laughs) You shouldn't be able to purge on Christmas. That's my point, damn it. So like, yeah, all people that are considered essential workers are working. Nobody else is working. But basically those essential workers are the only ones working forever, which is interesting. And in addition to that, the stock market also closes on Christmas Day. So like publicly traded companies no longer can trade stocks and they no longer have investors. It leads to companies sort of not being able to grow anymore, but they still have to pay their employees because it's a federal holiday they're supposed to. So that means that most companies are going to collapse financially because they have a steady outflow of money and no inflow of money. Because people aren't like buying their things, they're buying gifts instead. And this will eventually lead to economic collapse. And it'll be weird because all the money will be going straight to retailers, and retailers and restaurants will basically become like the upper class, kind of, because the employers are paying the employees and the employees are spending it at the retailers. And then once it's in the retailers, then it's basically just cycling between the retailer and the retailer employees back and forth. It's a weird cycle. Now, 
Christmas is also a religious holiday, so not everyone celebrates Christmas. In America, it's actually pretty high. 93% of Americans celebrate Christmas. And although Christmas is a religious holiday, lots of people do celebrate Christmas as a cultural holiday instead of a religious one. There was a 2017 survey that said only 51% of Americans who celebrate Christmas actually attend church. So that's one of the reasons why I think the percentage is so high in America. But um, because it's a religious holiday, that means like it's a Christian holiday. So like fundamentally, Christians are the only ones that are celebrating Christmas. And 32% of the world population is Christian. And then the rest are not. 19% is are Muslim. 13% are Hindu. And there probably are some non-Christian people that do celebrate Christmas, but I kind of just said that the 32% is a good estimate of how many people celebrate Christmas. Now, where are these 32% of the world population? How are they distributed throughout the world? Uh, like, where are they located? So 36.8% of Christians are in the Americas, so like North and South America. 25.9% are in Europe. 23.6% are in Sub-Saharan Africa. 13.1% are in Asia, and only 0.6% are in Northern Africa and the Middle East. So that's like sort of how they're distributed. And the thing is, not all countries get Christmas Day off. So some countries actually get more than one day off. They get like two or three days off. But this doesn't really affect our hypothetical because we're just saying every day is Christmas. But Christmas is not considered a public holiday in parts of Asia in the Middle East and Northern Africa, mainly because the Christian population is so low in these areas. So that means that they don't get the day off in these places. Uh, this includes China, which is 18% of the population. So what's going to happen is these parts of the world will basically continue like normal, like everyone will work and be normal and live normal lives, and they'll thrive economically. They'll be the only ones getting stuff done while everyone else just celebrates Christmas. And they'll basically become the new superpowers of the world. And then every other country that, that recognizes Christmas as a national holiday will become a weird dystopian place where the retailers and the restaurants are the upper elite class. And then everyone else is super poor and they have to like re-gift everything in order to survive. And that will be America, at least, will probably turn into that. How long will it take the rest of the world to notice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might not even notice. But <laughs> that is Christmas every day. Collapse of Christian civilization. Got it. <laughs> On those happy Christmas notes, <laughs> it's, it's time to hop over to our would you rather question. Chris, are you ready? I am ready for Christmas. Well, you're getting a would you rather instead. Oh. But it is Christmas themed. Would you rather eat your cereal with eggnog instead of milk or eat a candy cane sandwich? So I've still never had eggnog. How have you ever had eggnog? I don't know. We've had this discussion before. Yeah, it's come up. Probably on a different Christmas episode. Probably on every Christmas episode. Yeah, I still have not tried eggnog yet. Can we define a candy cane sandwich? I think it's a sandwich with like crushed up candy canes as the middle part. Is there anything else in it? Are there any other ingredients? That was my question. Just bread and candy canes? Let's say it's one half of the sandwich. You can modify the other piece of bread with something to <laughs> improve it. <laughs> Do we get to choose the bread? Yeah, sure. 
I'm leaning towards eggnog, even though I don't know what it tastes like, really. I have an idea of what it tastes like. It's creamy, right? Yeah. Noggy. It's eggy. That seems like it would go with cereal. Does it have alcohol in it, this version? Could. Your choice. It doesn't. Eggnog doesn't naturally. You could add alcohol as well to your cereal if you'd like. I mean, that's... I'm going to go ahead and tell you this right now. That's an option you have every single day of your life. (laughs) (laughs) I thought alcohol was a part of eggnog. So people make it with alcohol, but you don't have to make it with alcohol. Okay. Traditionally, though, it's not. Like, if you go to the store and buy eggnog in a carton, and that's like, hey, this is what eggnog is. It does not have alcohol in it. If someone says, hey, would you like some eggnog at a holiday party? It's fairly safe to assume it's an eggnog mixed drink with alcohol in it. But like that's the same. You can go to a store and buy margarita mix, and that's not what a margarita is. You need the alcohol, right? But like there are alcoholic and non-alcoholic homemade eggnog recipes. Well, if the alcohol is not required, then I think it's pretty easily eggnog is the better choice. All right. What if I suggest a peppermint stick sandwich? It is some good sort of sweet challah bread, layer of Nutella, and then your crushed candy canes. See, the main issue I have with the candy cane sandwich is that candy canes are mainly not a chewing experience. I will say with that. (laughs) I like crunchy things in sandwiches sometimes. Like if you take like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and throw some like pretzels in there, that is good. Yeah, but pretzels are a chewing experience. (laughs) No, I know. It's I understand that. But like, it's not that far. If you put like potato chips in a sandwich, that's delicious. Chewing experience. If you can get them crushed up enough. It's probably legit. I like Nutella as a combination option. That's probably the right texture. I do like peppermint bark. I do like that. Right. It's like a peppermint bark sandwich. There you go. Here's here's the other thing I'm thinking. How far off flavor-wise is eggnog from post-cereal milk? Like, what I crave in the morning, I actually, and, and you know, I've not grown out of this. A bowl of Lucky Charms, and you have, like, that slightly blue milk at the end. That milk tastes so good, because it's a lot of sugar in there. Okay, <laughs> I was just going to ask what cereal you would put your eggnog in, and you saying Lucky Charms. I know you weren't saying that's what you would choose, but just that mental combination of Lucky Charms with eggnog in it made my mind break a little bit. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm almost a little bit in Chris's boat where... I usually drink eggnog over the holidays, but for some reason my brain refuses to, like, cement in it exactly what eggnog tastes like, except that it's just, like, milk adjacent and a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, it seems pretty similar to milk. I think if you had a pretty neutral, if you had just, like, cornflakes, I don't think that would be that bad with eggnog. What do you think would be bad? I don't know, like... I think most cereal would go with eggnog. It's all sweet. No, I think I think most sugary cereal will just be way too much. I think you need something that's kind of bland. Like if you put like even just like frosted flakes, it's just gonna be a lot. It's gonna be like at least for me, just way too much. But I think if you have like just regular ass cornflakes or something, or like checks, I don't know, something like that. Is mini wheats the best or the worst? <laughs> oh, oh. So the problem with mini wheats is they get kind of soggy. Like all cereal is going to get soggy, obviously, but those specifically get soggy very quickly. And I don't want to eat like a squishy eggnog sponge. I think cereal gets less or gets soggy slower in eggnog than in normal milk, though. I guess because it's thicker. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Oh, I don't like thinking about it being thicker. I don't either. I hadn't considered that. I mean, I don't think that's an issue, really. It's not ideal, I'll tell you that. I mean, the textures on both are going to be weird. 
Yeah, I don't think either of these are, like, a typical you want to eat this or this where they're both so astronomically bad that you couldn't. Like, if I was offered either of these at a Christmas party where I felt some obligation to the host to try it, I would try both of these items. I can see someone making, like, peppermint finger sandwich or something. The idea that you're just giving out, like, <laughs> a styrofoam cup full of cornflakes with eggnog in it is hilarious to me. See, I was going to say the opposite. I was going to say that, like, I could see the eggnog cereal being, like, a TikTok fad or something where the candy cane sandwich is just like, why did you do that? The candy cane sandwich is a joke from Elf that got cut where he took his lunch to work. Oh, is it? no that's that was it oh. <laughs> i was like that could be possible <laughs> right exactly like that's effectively what it is i'm gonna say i would actually try either of these i think you can't say both though that's cheating yeah we should probably stop talking about it before i get actually curious about what this is all right i'm not gonna say i'm gonna try one of these on a behind the scenes episode but i might try <laughs> one of these on a behind the scenes episode i'm not committing myself yet i had not say that but it's, pos- it's a possibility he's doing both no i didn't say that ben if you do one i'll do the other Oh, I like that deal. <laughs> do you get to choose which one you do? Or is that, does that depend on what you choose right now? Oh, man. So wait, I get to choose which one I do in the situation? We'll, we'll work it out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure, figure it out. We'll figure it out. All right, we'll figure it out. Well, we should, we should decide on this now. I think we've discussed this at length. So yeah, I kind of got sold by Ben's good sandwich idea. I'm kind of in for the candy cane Nutella sandwich. That seems pretty legit in my book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the candy cane sandwich. Chris? I'm going for the eggnog cereal. I think both textures will be weird, but like eggnog cereal is closer. It's pretty close to just normal cereal, I think. It's just a little weird. Also, you got to try eggnog at some point, so might as well do it there. Yeah, I know. I do like that you're committing to this not having had eggnog before, but yes. (laughs) I don't know. I I think I sort of know what it tastes like. You get the idea, yeah. But candy canes, like I just don't like the idea of chewing candy canes, even though I do like peppermint bark. I, the one part of that that I don't like is, like, when you chew it, it gets stuck in your teeth. I don't like that. So I feel like I would not like a candy cane sandwich. That's the thing about the candy canes is that they're not just crunchy. They're, like, chewy crunchy. It's weird. Yeah, they're not meant to be chewed. I may... Yes, that's the answer. I, th- I think I may also go with the cereal. That was surprising. I thought you were going to choose the other one. I really thought I was, too. But the more I think about the cereal, it's just, like... People had to have made it at some point. Kellogg must have made like a, you know, eggnog frosted flakes at some point. They just have like this, you know, nutmegs and stuff on it. That's definitely a thing that someone's done at some point. I mean, eggnog is basically just like what? Milk, eggs, and sugar? Yeah. Like it's basically cinnamon toast crunch, but nutmeg toast crunch. (laughs) You can just pour a bowl of Lucky Charms, pour regular milk in and crack an egg in and you're good. Oh, God. No one do that. Don't ever do that. (laughs) If you do, please add rum. Oh, the Simpsons did, uh... The Simpsons did eggnog cereal. <laughs> Wait, seriously? Season 7, episode 11. That's incredible. And they did a candy cane sandwich in season 48, episode 13. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I would go with eggnog cereal. Oh, bad. Well, even though the Simpsons did it, you may be able to see a real life person eat some eggnog cereal. So it is the perfect excuse to hop on to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals and become a patron for just a singular dollar you get access to all our additional content that we produce each month specifically exclusively especially for our absurd hypotheticals on the patreon so you can go there if you want to help the show in non-monetary ways one leaving a review just be like wow 
this was cool. I, I listened to this whole thing, and I really enjoyed it. Boom, five stars. Write exactly that. Throw it in, five stars. Helps more people find the show. Helps the show grow. Very good. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Word of mouth is the best way for a podcast to grow as well. Everything is the best way for a podcast to grow. Everything helps. Get the word out there about this cool show, and then you'll be able to explain away why you know some weird-ass facts at your holiday Christmas party. If you want to be directly a part of the show through your own thoughts, send us a question. We love to get listener questions, listener would-you-rathers, and if you have a cool idea for a hypothetical question for us to answer, send it in. Probably best is via email, absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. Or send us a message through the, the Patreon if you happen to be a patron. Or if you're on YouTube, in the comments, because that's probably easier for you. You don't even have to click away, you just scroll down. Yeah, if you're on YouTube, just right down there. It's just You can't see me pointing, but I'm pointing down below the video. God, being an audio-only format's terrible. <laughs> can't point to anything. Well, you can't, it just doesn't do much. So once you've done all those 17 different things I asked for as a Christmas gift to us, uh, you can join us next week, where we do our 2021... Oh, uh, remix the hiatus. hiatus hiatus oh but after that remix episode <laughs> <laughs> yes we we um real life gets busy around the holidays we do this in our we do this podcast in our spare time so it's difficult to get all together during the holiday season so we will be on a one month hiatus so we will have next week's episode and then after that we'll take a break till we return in february 7th Mark it on your calendars. We'll be returning there with fresh new hypothetical questions for you, the listener. But we will still have our Patreon episodes during that. Yes, that does happen. If you miss us, Patreon's the way to go. You can pay to not miss us anymore. This isn't a... There's some probably some psychological trick you can do to make people do this. It's not gaslighting, but it feels like it. <laughs> Get you hooked and then uh, take it away and then demand money for it. Extortion? <laughs> that what we're doing. I don't know what you're going for here, dude. <laughs> yeah. All right, join join us next week, where we tackle our very very exciting 2021 remix, where we mash up episodes from this year into super Frankenstein monster questions. It's crazy. It's a good time. We'll see you there. Mm-hmm.